Um, we own? Did I? Yes. Okay. If you go to Romans, and now we were in Romans chapter 13 uh, last time we were here, and then as I started looking at my notes, it had been so long, you know, kind of in the gap in between, that I realized that I did not finish up Romans chapter 12 uh, before we went to Romans chapter 13. So we're going to jump back uh, because you say, well, why? Why don't we just keep moving? Because I believe every verse and every word is really important. And so uh, because of that, we're going to go ahead and take a look at it. We want to cover everything uh, that we can. And so we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12. And uh, we, had, we had finished up uh, as we went through Romans chapter 12. Let me get to it myself. I'm talking and not there myself. So Romans, here we go. Can't find Romans. I know it's in the Bible somewhere. Uh, Romans chapter 12, we, uh, we went through the spiritual gifts. It took us through uh, verse 8. And then, uh, of course, verse 9, we're going to be picking up. And uh, here's what, we, just, just to say this, the spiritual gifts, uh, honestly, they're so very important. And we took a little spiritual gifts test in here. And, you know, it's not absolute, but it's helpful. It, uh, it, it kind of helps us to see a little bit about where our propensity is, you know, where our direction is. And uh, it helps us evaluate. And I think it, 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 the more we understand uh, kind of where our strengths are, uh, you know, I said this before, I think, and, and I never know. I, you know, I travel a little bit, so I, I don't remember where I say what. But, but, you know, when we try to force ourselves into something that is really not God's gift, it doesn't mean that we can't do it. But I'm just going to tell you that, that you're really never as at peace and happy and fulfilled as just doing what God created you to do. Uh, you know, and, uh, and, and I, I can give this as an example. One of the greatest assistant pastors that I've ever seen uh, just was determined that assistant pastor was a stepping stone to being a pastor. And he was assistant pastor for six, seven years. And honestly, he really, I believe it may have been one of the greatest assistant pastors in the nation and probably to this day would be one of the greatest assistant pastors. But he was determined to be a pastor. And he did. He left being an assistant. And he went into the pastorate and he didn't last six months as a pastor because that was not what God had created him to be. That was not his gift. That was not what God had designed for him. And so you just have to, you know, we looked at, so we, we took a look at these, but here's what the, the spiritual gifts will be in effect, ineffective if love is not present. And that's what we're going to take a look now at verse 9. Verse 9, it says, let love be without dissimulation. So you go through these spiritual gifts, and then all of a sudden he goes this thing about love. It's like a, 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 a changing of thought, but it's really not a changing of the thought at all. Uh, this is uh, uh, God's trying to say to us right here, uh, like he did in, in Corinthians, it's like sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. If you do, all, you have all these gifts, all these talents, all these things, but you have not love. And he's saying, let love be without dissimulation. Uh, so love should not be hypocritical. That's basically what that word, in essence, is going to uh, reveal to us. But God's saying it needs to be real in the heart. Folks, let me just tell you, God wants our Christianity to be real. And if our Christianity is real, you know what's going to be real in us? Love. Our love will be real. We'll love each other. And, and, and I'm, I'm still, you know, I know you're supposed to go through a honeymoon the first year you're someplace, but, but I'm thrilled that we're pushing on two years now and we're still on the honeymoon because this is a place of love. 
It's a loving place, and everybody that comes in here feels like they're loved. And, and uh, you know, we're going to, the next time I, I go out there to change the sign, I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to say. If you, if, you, if you need to be loved, come to Calvary. Because that's, and that's what God wants. He wants us to be lo- loving people that love. And love doesn't, okay, love doesn't endorse sin. Love accepts people where they are. It really does. And so if love is real in the heart, then the next step is to, God makes it very clear. He said, if you have love real in your heart, he said, then one of the things that you're going to do, if you have God's love in your heart, then you're going to hate, also hate evil. You're going to hate evil. Now, when evil is causing harm to someone, and so often when we look at this, immediately we look and think, okay, yeah, I hate the evil in the world. I don't think that's the primary meaning of this little phrase here. He's, he's saying, oh, abhor that which is evil. I think God really wants us to have love, and we hate evil so much that we don't do it to somebody. We don't cause evil upon somebody. We don't bring evil upon somebody. I believe without, without a doubt, it means that you hate all the evil in the world. You hate what sin has done to people. But the, but the, but the truth is, God so often is trying to direct everything to us to us, and say, look, that's one of the prayers, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. When I pray that, I say, Lord, don't let me do evil to anyone. God, reveal to me if I'm going to cause anything evil to anyone. It's not always the evil that's coming at us, it's the evil that we might do. If, so, the, uh, to love is to do good. Love is something... T- uh, to give, evil is something to abstain. If we love and abstain evil intently, uh, then there is still something to do, and that is to cleave to good. So he says you need to love uh, without dissimulation, you need to abhor evil, and he says you need to cleave to that which, which is good. Now, that phrase helps me again to, to I believe, put more uh, weight on the fact that this evil could be evil that I do because he, the very next phrase, he says, look, don't do evil, cleave to, the, cleave to good. It means be glued to that which is good. Whatever is good, we need to just get as close as we can to it, just get attached to it, being just melded to it. We need to do good. We need to do good for everybody. We, we, one more, you know, today we had uh, more people and it kind of worked. We told them, you know, one to three, uh, so that Amy and I are both here at one to three uh, today on Wednesday. Just makes a real good day. And they came in uh, today to get, and more people got saved today. Amen. And so uh, it was a wonderful thing. And, and watch this. Uh, two of them that came in and got saved today, they came last time and they didn't get saved. But today they did. Amen. And so because we kept doing good, doing good. And so um, now how to further demonstrate love. We go to verse 10. God says, okay, love's so important. How do I further demonstrate it? This love that God says I'm supposed to have because love is an action, not just a word. Love is an action, not just an emotion. He says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. Now, Kindly affection is a love and a kindness toward... Now, by definition, again, these words uh, mean basically, primarily, to those who are closely related to you. 
God's saying, you know what, uh, we, ought to, we, we do much about the home and the family, and that's kind of what our split, split session with the men was a little bit about today. But, but God's saying that, that this kindly infection, uh, affection, he said that we, it ought to be in our homes, we ought to have the right spirit toward each other. Especially parents and children. I love the fact Rochelle's mom's coming. She wants prayer for her. She's coming, and, and I, I and I'm gonna be praying for her much that that she endures Jesse while she's here. And uh, but you know I know uh, she's coming, and when she's coming, I'm expecting her to make me some jambalaya and you know crawfish pie and you know anyway. Uh, but uh, but you know we need to we need to have. This, uh, this affection. Brotherly love is also we're describing the relationship with those you're naturally related to. So God's really in this one, he's saying, you know what? I, I'm really talking to you about family right now. I'm talking to you about extended family right now. Folks, we ought to get along. We ought to at least get along with the people that, that bore us, that, that, that our moms and dads and, and, and aunts and uncles, the people that look, you say, well, you just don't know them. I'm telling you, listen, I came from a hard-headed, stubborn family, and I was the first one to get saved. Tell me about it, all right? They weren't exactly talking and quoting Scripture everywhere I went. They would do, you know, some of them do just about anything they could to try to prove that I was, I, this Christianity didn't go as deep as it, as that, 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 that I felt like it did. And, and I'm telling you, sometimes they almost pushed me to the point that I almost proved it to them. But the truth is that I had to love them. And can I tell you, a whole lot of them got saved. The one, my one uncle that, that really, I mean, he's a great guy, but man, I mean, you know, rough as a cob when it came to his language and, and what he would say and do just to prove uh, that, you know, Christianity was not real in our family or whatever, trying to get me to respond. He was, but when he was laying on his deathbed, you know who he asked for? He didn't just ask for me. He wanted me and all of my girls there. I've spent $1,000 on plane tickets and travel to get my girls to come there to be with him, to see him, to talk to him. That's who he wanted to come see him. He didn't ask for his own daughter to come. He asked for my The way this love is revealed to others is by placing such value on others that, we've, that we put them and their needs first. That's where be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. You know what? You get along with people a lot better if you just want to do for them rather than wanting them to conform to you. Did you know that? I'm not saying conform to anything evil. God's already spoken about that. I'm saying that, that when we want to be a blessing to them, no matter how evil they've been toward us, that's what we tried to do all those years. We tried to be a blessing every time, anywhere. Did you know that they were having a big get-together at the, at the home one time, and, and uh, Brooke was about uh, 12, 13 years old. 
And there, it was, we were a large family. Dad had ten brothers and sisters, and and so everybody was gathered there together. And 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 my, I told my girls, we don't want to be normal. We want to, we want to. My wife taught them this: when you get in that environment, it's not all about being served, being served, being served. It's about doing serving others. So Brooke went to the to the kitchen sink, and for about three straight hours, people just kept putting their dishes in the sink, and she just kept washing them. After about three hours of just serving them, that same uncle who would cuss like a sailor used a cuss word and called his wife over to him and said, you go take that girl and buy her anything she needs for school. And they took Brooke out and they bought her $500 worth of clothing. You know what she was doing? She was preferring them. The Word of God continues to teach us on how to accomplish all this. You know, God's so good. You know, He just lays everything out. You know, how how am I going to prefer them? Uh, How am I going to treat them right? How am I going to do this and love them the way I should? He says, look at verse 11. He says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Slothful means, uh, it means laziness, but it's a strong word. It's, it, it means that you cause people grief because of your laziness. Anybody ever been in anything, worked in a business, done anything where you're working with somebody who moves? And this is the, the, the actual definition means sluggish. They move so slow, trying to get what done, they're just in your way. Anybody, anybody ever been there? To the point where you just want to say, look, look, do me a favor. Take a break for about four hours so I can get something done. Well, that's really what this is talking about. It, it, it's, just, it, it's just this slothfulness, that, this slowness. He says, this is not what we should be. And you say, wow, is it God saying this is how you love people? It is exactly. You, you need to, to serve people and serve the, 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 the work of God, fervent in spirit. He says, instead of being this slow working, causing other frustration because of it, he said, instead, have zeal and intensity in your spirit when you work. That's what this is all talking It's such a simplistic thing. We want to take it and we say, okay, uh, you know, we're supposed to be not be slothful and we're supposed to be fervent for God. No, this is all talking about the same thing. He's saying, he's saying you ought to be, uh, not be this sluggish, slow-working type of attitude and personality. You shouldn't be that. He said you ought to be somebody that has intensity while you work. You ought to go. At, uh, I was uh, telling somebody just recently, you know, look, if you're going to work, if you're going to excel, if you're going to move up in your job or anything else, can I tell you what you need to do? Work harder and faster than anybody else. I went to uh, uh, Sears at the dock when I was a college student, probably, I guess, about my junior year, and I was just trying to make some extra 
extra money, and I went down there, and, and uh, they hired us on December the 16th, and we were going to work through December the 26th, and they told us 15 times, you will not work past December 26th. December 26th will be your last day, so don't expect to be here past December 26th. They hired about 15 of us to work the docks, and it was the, the what do you call it, mail order thing, you know, so they'd come in, and they would pick it, you know, they'd give us a slip, we you run back here and get this package and bring it back. And you go to the dock and bring this TV up, and you you know go all, and that's what you did. And 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 for all we're, we're talking about, ten or eleven days. And so, ten or eleven days, uh, I I ran everywhere I ran. I, I knew the day, it's not going to last. The job's not going to last. But look, the day gets real old if you move around like a mud turtle. And so I just, I ran everywhere. I just ran everywhere to go everywhere. And when it came time for everybody to get off, every day for that 10 days, 11 days, every day when it was time to get off, they told me I couldn't go home. And I came home one night late and I told my mom, I said, I said, mom, those people up there hate me. She said, why is that? I said, man, they let everybody else go and they keep me. And she said, son, how stupid can you be? I said, what are you talking about? She said, son, when everybody else is gone after the 26th, you'll still be there. And I said, no, mom, they already told us we're not going to stay. He's just working me to death. And, 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 and on the 26th, when everybody else walked out the door, they hired me. I was there for three more years, and they gave me the most cush job in the whole place. I could go travel on the ball games. I could go where I want, write my own schedule because of 10 days I ran. You say, well, what, how important is that? Well, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I was a brand new Christian at the time, and I wouldn't know how to witness. But can I tell you, I believe I did witness a little bit. Because anybody that found out that I was a Christian then would say, well, when, when I went to, went to Bible college, I worked at a, at a store, Sport Mart, catching shoplifters. And after about a year there, they needed to hire six more people on the store, retail store. And they came to me, and, they, and this is the words, the manager said, hey, at that college, if you can get me six more people like you, I'll hire them on the spot. Now, I'm not bragging on me, but I'm just telling you, when, they, when I worked, I was supposed to be working, and so I worked. That's a testimony that they wanted six more Christian boys, six more preacher boys. You say, well, what's the big deal? It was a Jewish company. The manager was a Jew. But can I tell you something about Jews? If you work, they don't care what you are because you're making them money. Now, when we work in any work, we should do it with zeal as unto the Lord because that's our testimony as a Christian. How to continue to have an attitude that desires to demonstrate love? God is going to continue on to tell us how we can continue to have this attitude. Now, he's shown us how to do it and how to influence people. Now, he's going to say to us emotionally, how do you continue to have this attitude on a day-by-day basis? How am I, you know, how when you just don't feel like having this spirit of love and having 
having this fervency. How do you have it? He says in verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. God said, you know what? If you want to continue to have a positive and grateful attitude, just rejoice in hope. Just rejoice. Anybody got anything to rejoice about? You ought to rejoice that you're enjoying this guest speaker tonight. You ought to rejoice. I know somebody's back there, poor little girl, she's back there. Like, Who's the guest speaker? It's me. I haven't been here in a long time. The dear, folks, we ought to rejoice. That will change our whole spirit. And God says, if you want to keep the right attitude to be able to do the things I've just told you, rejoice in hope. Look. You always have hope, and we always, God says, rejoice that what I promise will come to pass. Patient and tribulation, the way we work should be with rejoicing and hope, a positive and grateful attitude. Watch this, enduring the burdens and oppressions that may come our way. He said, look, you're going to endure things, and things are going to come, but you need to one, be the one that just says, praise God anyway. Amen. God is good. Come on now. God is good all the time. And all the time. Amen. Now, look, that means really all the time. I've been trying to, I'll be honest with you, I've been trying to, uh, my wife and I have been trying to praise a lot, be positive a lot, be encouraging a lot for little Brooke because... You know, it's a long haul just to lay in a bed. And, and that's, she's hurt herself and, you know, trying to, because she just wants to be here. But I told her, no, not, not now. We've gone too far. You know, we were just, you, she's struggling too much. But I know it's long and a hard road, and we got probably another two months of just being in bed. But the fact is, is that it's something that has to be done. But it can be done if we will have the right spirit while it's being done. Continuing instant in prayer. Notice how we do this, everything that we do, if we stay in the spirit of prayer. And folks, we had a great revival on prayer. And God has, has continued to bless us. And, and now a missions conference. And it's been amazing what God has been doing. But, but never let up on prayer. I heard this today, and it's such a, such a great statement, but, you know, when you get hungry, the longer you go without food, the hungrier you become. Is hungrier a word? More hungry you become. Hungrier is a word. Thank you, English lady. Uh, the, you become more hungry and hungrier. And so, you become this way. Do you, know that, do you know that if you go a long time without eating, you get more hungry? Hungrier? Did you know that? Does anybody know anything tonight? Do you know that? Are you hungry right now? Okay, you haven't eaten in a while. You're hungry. But spiritually, the longer you go without food, the less hungry you become. And the longer you go out Without prayer, the less you desire to be with God. You see, if you go without food, you go a few days and you're going to go scavenge something. You're going to go find something. 
But you go a day or two or three or four or a week or two or three or four without Bible and prayer. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to come to a point where it doesn't bother you at all. Not hungry at all. But you know, when you begin to eat the Word of God, it's amazing. The more you eat, the more hungry you become. Now, that also happens to me on Thanksgiving, but... <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I used to set a record at Christmas time. Man, I was going to be, you know, 14 to 16 pounds. I was going to, from the time we got out of college to the time we came back in January, 14, 16 pounds. I was going to put it on because I never eat much. I just eat often. <laughs> Every time you pass by, you know what? And that's, wouldn't that be wonderful if we did that with the Word of God? Listen to it all the time. Distributing, verse 13, how to keep this attitude that will continue to de- demonstrate love, distributing to the nece- necessity of the saints giving to hospitality. You know what? It, 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 God says, if you want to keep the right spirit, right attitude, what you have to do is you've got to remember it's not all about you. It's unselfishness. Distributing to the necessity of the thing, saints. Through this work that we do, we will receive benefit, but it should not be just for selfish purposes, but so that we can help others. And, you know, notice, I love what I learned from uh, Brother, Brother Hall, the necessity of the saints. And he said those, the saints were those who were going to go to the uttermost parts of the world. And so God is saying right here, distributing to those who are trying to reach other people f- for Christ, distributing to the needs of others. But watch this, this given to hospitality. This is so very important. And again, uh, that's why I, I think God is, is another reason I believe that God is blessing this church is because it, you're, you are distributing to the necessity of the saints, but you're also a people that are given to hospitality. And you know what that is? Given to hospitality means to entertain strangers. You know what? Just being willing to help anybody that comes through. Being willing to do whatever you can. You know, that's when we have our next missions conference, uh, this was our, our starting place. When we have the next missions conference, we want to have three or four different missionary families in here. When we do that, we probably can't afford to put them all in hotels. And the truth is, that would not be the best place for them. If they go home with some of you, they will, you will know them and they will know you. And if you're a person given to hospitality, this will be an incredible blessing to you. So, okay, let me just ask you, anybody you'd be willing to take somebody home with you? It's a year away, so don't worry, I'm not going to remember. Okay, now listen, you're the ones that just raise your hand. I'm going to find the one that has 12 kids, and they're going to your house. No, the, the fact is, if we're willing to do that, if we're willing to take some... When we took sailors home, listen, I used to tell people all the time, it wasn't the football that brought them down. It wasn't even the food that brought them down. So many of them came down because we opened their door to a bunch of strangers and said, our home is your home. And it became their home. Now, verse 14 says, now if Uh, Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. And so again, 
God is trying to keep us in the spirit of love, the spirit that would have the right fervency toward God, but fervency toward people and, and the right type of spirit out amongst people and taking care of the saints, but also ha- having the right kind of uh, uh, testimony in the community. And he says, again, here's one of the ways you're going to do this. This is something you're going to have to do if you're going to keep the right attitude and right spirit. Bless them which persecute you. That's tough, isn't it? Bless them, praise them, and ask God to bless them. This is what this really means. Bless them, praise them, and ask God to bless them. Those that persecute you. And go back again. This is all tying in together. This goes all the way back to my uncle again. You got to be, you have to look at him and say, I'm going to look for the good. You know, there's good in everybody. And God says that we're supposed to look for the good. Whatsoever things are pure, honest, lovely, a good report, think on these things. We're supposed to think on the good things, even about people. We're supposed to look for the good things. So, folks, you you know what? Even in our churches, as the church grows, there are going to be more diverse personalities. There's going to be more people doing more things. There's going to be people, and as that happens, can I tell you something? You need to look for the good in those people. They're not all perfect like you. Amen? Bless them, praise them, and ask God to bless them, not to curse them. We, we do no evil to them, and God uh, will... <clears throat> we're asking God not to do evil to them. We're, not, we're asking, when we say curse not, that's us not doing evil to them, but also we're asking God that evil not happen to them. And then verse 15, and I'll probably stop there, is rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Now, we got some very important verses, and I really thought I'd, I'd cover more ground than I have tonight, but, but this is simply empathy. Not sympathy, but empathy. Folks, something, if you could learn this, and, and many of you already know it, maybe everybody in here knows it, but I know that this is what changed my, my life as a, as a preacher and as a Christian. It's when I started looking at people and their trials and their heartaches, and I said, God, help me to feel what they're feeling. Not to feel sorry for them, but actually to feel what they're feeling. I don't know if he would know this, but there was many a night that I was tore up because I knew Jesse was tore up. Because I remember what it's like not to have a job, not to be able to feed your family. Wondering how the bill's going to get paid. And I'd say to Joe Beth, I know what he's going through. And it's so hard. And so if you feel what he's going through when he doesn't have a job... I'm telling you, I don't know which one of us was more excited when he got the job, him or me, because I'm also ready to rejoice with him when he rejoiced. That's why when I found it out, uh, right before the church service, people are all looking at me like I'm crazy because the moment I found it out, man, tears started to come and I was doing me a dance because I felt what he was feeling. 
when he didn't have a job so I can feel what he's feeling now that we're rejoicing. If you really want to understand people, put yourself in their place. You know, walk a mile in their shoes. That's the old Indian saying, not the song. Walk a mile in their shoes. Just feel what they're feeling. Yeah, he's going to hate me for saying this, but but I don't hardly go through a service that I don't wonder how Brother John does this. He gets up in the middle of the night. That's crazy. It's weird. <laughs> and I've seen so many times, you know, come for, for teen soul and it's come out here and be out here at 3, 30, 4 o'clock. I don't know. When do you sleep? And right, I know when he sleeps, during my sermon. He hadn't heard any of this. But you know, that ought to mean something to us. We ought to think about that. That's why these, these little kids that are all around here that want to come to church on Sunday night and Wednesday night, it's, it's killing us try to get there and get them picked up and get them back here. But you know what I think? They're in a home that they're wanting desperately to get out of tonight. They want to come so bad to be with some people that love them for a little while. They won't cuss at them or won't, forgive me, or not drunk. And I'll be at the point where I'm just going to have to say, no, I can't get there. I've got, I got meetings, I've got counseling, I've got things. But it just, it tears your heart out because I've got to get them. Somehow I've got to get them because they want to come. You say, well, they just want to get out of the house. And maybe that'll be the very thing. If they just keep getting out of that house enough and keep coming here enough, then one day they just might realize there's a different life that they could have for their family, for their children. Isn't that what it's all about? I won't go any further. Brother Allen, if you close us in prayer tonight, I appreciate it. Lord, thank you uh, for Wednesday nights. Lord, thank you just for the opportunity to come back together uh, as a family, as a church family. Lord, thank you for the time that we have here to, to pray with and for one another. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, thank you for our pastor. Lord, thank you for his love for us. Lord, thank you for your grace and